welcome to YPN's Breakfast Podcast. Please enjoy while Jennifer Ames and Brad Lippitz, moderated by Kevin Van Eck, share their expert listing advice. And now, let's get this started. Please welcome our moderator, Kevin Van Eck. Kevin is the EVP of Innovation and Education at App Properties, leading different teams ranging from training and coaching to the Ad Assist On Demand Assistant Program. His mission is to ensure that App Properties is a small business consultant for each broker so that they may reach their definition of success. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right, so after Sean, I feel uh, I have a little bit of regret because I did not bring my t-shirt cannon uh, to send out, to shoot t-shirts out. Um, so here we go. So we have some exciting panelists here um, that really, you should, you probably know their names. They have brand names in Chicago already. But first, let's talk about Jennifer Ames. So she's been in the business for 25 years, really specializing in luxury real estate. We think either today or tomorrow is her 25th year anniversary. So that's pretty cool. Uh, she's, ranked, she's ranked among the city's top 10 agents for the last 21 years and uh, lifetime over 1.8 billion in sales. She recently opened uh, the first ever Engel & Volker's shop, a leading international boutique real estate company. So join me in welcoming Jennifer. And then our second panelist is Brad Lippitz. His career started in commercial real estate and corporate law. So he has a strong appreciation of the business and legal sides of real estate. He started his own brokerage in 1994, merging it with Rubloff in 2010, and he's currently with Compass since 2018. So he's been in the business for 25 years as well, and uh, his clients have really benefited from his multifaceted approach and ability to maximize the client's return by capturing and conveying the essence of each home and what makes it special, Brad Lippis, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks. Are we going to stand? Yeah, I think I can't. If I'm sitting down, I can't see everybody, so I'd rather stand so I can see our audience. That's great. I'm short. There we go. <laughs> All right, Brad, take off your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> we already had to do that with Grace. Whatever you said. <laughs> All right, so let's get right to it. So uh, let's say someone calls you, and today's about listings, right? So someone calls you and they say, Jenny, I was referred to you by Jamie. We want to sell our house. What happens next? What is your listing process like? Uh, so as soon as we get that call, we um, do a deep dive in the internet. We Google them. We try and find out who they are. Uh, obviously, we look at the history. When did they buy? When did they? When did it sell before that? When did it sell before that? Every once in a while, I discover, oh wait, I sold that like two sales ago. So we look at what the whole history was. When we're pulling up that history, we're not just looking at things like pricing, we're looking at maybe the last listing said that the garage was a teardown. And so when we go into the appointment, it's like, oh, I see, that's a beautiful garage. Now you added that, right? And then they think, oh, she's really smart. How did she know that? Um, I always try to pull up the floor plan. Everybody should have a floor plan on all their listings. Uh, but we always try and pull that up. So when we're doing the walkthrough later, it's we're looking at that. But, but really, it's about doing a deep dive into the history so that um, when we confirm our appointment, which is the next thing, is to go do a meet and greet, we want to go in and we want to know more about their property than they do. So it's that, that research step is really, really key. Yeah. Brad, what does yours look like? Oh, I was just going to add, um, yeah. 
Mine looks exactly like Jenny's, uh, but I also feel like it's important to get to know who's calling you, especially if it's a cold referral, people that you haven't met. You want to ask what their motivations are, why they're selling, how, you know, what, how they answer that question will give you insight in how to approach them. You know, their motivations, is it a family situation, is it a divorce, are they being transferred, um, is it a financial situation, is it just the upsize or downsize? So once you learn more about them, it will give you an opportunity to kind of customize your approach based on, you know, based on the property and investigating the property, but also getting to know who they are, what motivates them, and how to best approach them. So. And to confirm, you ask that in the initial conversation with them? You know what, I, I do, on the phone. I think it's important to get a sense of who they are, who you're meeting with, why you're meeting with yeah. them. Now, I will say, sometimes I'll get an email. I just responded to one this morning uh, saying, you know, I know you do a lot of uh, sales in the neighborhood. I want to pick a time when we can meet. You know, we want to meet with you to sell our home. Um, so I'll just respond really quickly with a time. Yes, let's do it. Um, I think people want a quick response, so if they do you know, reach out to you via email, the most important thing is responding ASAP, even without research, even without anything. Just say, get a meeting on the books, then stand back, research the property, research, research them, and then come to the listing appointment ready to shine. Can I, one thing to add about that is that with this whole Amazon culture, like people's expectations have absolutely changed. So Brad's 100% right. People expect immediate response, not just at the first call, but throughout your relationship with them. And it's and it's created a lot more stress for everybody because you know we're not all set up to respond like in five minutes or ten minutes. But they're thinking, you know, if I can get a new sport coat, you know, one hour delivery on Amazon, my broker for my, you know, X hundred thousand dollar house should call me back, you know, quickly too. And it's it's very much changed how we have to manage our clients' expectations. Yeah, can I can I say I actually <laughs> We love have, each other. You can yeah, tell. I know. We've known each other for twenty five years. Uh, actually I think it's important. I usually respond with feedback right when I'm turning on the turning off the lights to a house. I mean <clears throat> my sellers are so demanding with that that even if it's just to say, you know, it's uh, somebody who's transferring from New York they have kids at this school, they like the house, they you know, they didn't like the finishes, they hated the cherry floors, whatever it is, just get back to them ASAP. I think, which brings me to, I don't know, how, do you want me to just elaborate? You know, the phone and has been a blessing and a curse in our industry because, as Jenny said, this Amazon culture, people expect responses ASAP. But it also offers you a certain amount of flexibility because you don't have, in the old days, used to have a 25-minute conversation after each thing. This time, just shoot them a text, send them an email, be in touch with them. Um, and I think it, it actually, to some extent, makes it easier because if you just get it done, get it out of the way, they'll get what they want, which is just feedback. They want to hear. So I guess responsiveness and availability are really important, but if I were to ask your clients why they hired you or they continue to refer you, what would they say? Uh, I think in our case, they would say 
that they knew that we really cared. Like within my team, the philosophy is that each client needs to feel like they're our only client. And I'm um, kind of a generous-minded person. So when I go into my listing appointment, like I had one a couple days ago, and while I was there, I helped pick all the paint colors because this is an older couple and their house had a lot of like oranges and, and yellows and like colors we don't do anymore. And so I went through and I took like 45 minutes and we went paint swatch to paint swatch. Now, they didn't tell me I had the listing yet, but that's just how I am. And that's how we always are. Like we're very generous with our ideas and our thoughts and, and, and want them to know from day one and all the way through the process, like we're always gonna go the extra mile. So I think um, I do explain upfront really important thing which is the way people shop for real estate now is visually they shop with pictures on the internet and so I tell them like you've only got a you know split second to make a great first impression and so when I I'm really proactive with staging and when I say staging it what that means varies depending on the person it may mean taking a lot of stuff out. It may mean bringing furniture in. It may be replacing what they have with something more modern. But I'm very engaged with that and spend a lot of time helping them try and think like a buyer. Help them, them visualize if a buyer's walking through their home, what are they gonna see? Are they gonna see a home that feels like their parents or their grandparents' home? Because if that's what they see, they won't be interested. And I tell them they need to get through that. That first date is visually and then you're trying to get to that second date, which is when they come in person. And I, I just think that they really, people know that we really care about them. I'm a hugger. So after listing appointments, I meet people for the first time. And when it's time to go, I like hug them. And they all, sometimes people are kind of surprised. But, but that's, that's my culture. That's, that's showing. Like I, we just had this moment together. We just engaged. And I care. And I'm going to be here every step of the way. And I think that's why they come back. It's very cool. Brad said he hugs on the way in. <laughs> Not the way and that's the start. Yeah. How do you think I get such great listings? Um, I would also add to what Jenny said, uh, what, is that you know I express to my seller that my primary goal is to get them as much as I can, and that I'm working for them. And they just have to follow my lead. I'll do the best I can to hold their hand. But my primary goal is not to advertise myself. It's not to, you know, uh, create an incredible portfolio. It's really to get them the most money I can from their house in a very uncertain marketplace often. So we're dealing, you know, we're dealing with a marketplace that's all over the place, especially when you deal with one-of-kind homes. I know we're going to probably get to that which I often do, um, and the goal is, the primary goal is to make it as seamless as possible and to get them as much return as they can so they can move to, on to the next stage of their lives. I wanna add one quick thought to that, um, two quick thoughts, sorry. Uh, one is that last year I had a few clients where they were taking a bath on their sale and be, because the property taxes went so high, um, but that's another conversation. But So I had some clients where our asking price dropped way below what they paid like 15 years ago and it was really heartbreaking like you know you care and as and as Brad said we know we have a fiduciary responsibility and you take that very seriously on the other hand i realized ultimately i needed to get out of the way 
because their position was just sell the house. Like I don't care anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to be carrying this any longer. Some of them were on the market for a long time. So that goes back to that motivation question because sometimes we're so, we get hung up on this idea that we have to get the best price. And I had a couple of clients who said, I don't care. One client actually called me in December and said, if we don't sell by the end of the month, we're going to donate our house to charity. And I was like, wait, what? And they said, no, seriously, we just want to be done with it. And I was like, okay, so how many days do I have? You know, let's bring the price down. But I, but I think that's really important, you know, to, to, to understand their motivation. And, um, and the other really, this is probably the most important thing I could say to you guys all day today is that every morning, and I tell my clients this, like I put my big girl pants on today because I'm here as a professional to tell you the truth. I'm not here to tell you what I think you want to hear. I'm here to be really honest. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. And I'm going to give you advice. And you might not like it. And I also tell them, by the way, that when we get an offer, you're probably not going to like that either. So let's just have that conversation now so it happens later, you're not surprised. But I think it's extremely important that you think about that, and that's not just price. That's having the serious conversation about the fact that when you open the closet doors, the overflowing stuff falls out on top of you. And how's a buyer going to feel about the storage in your home? The fact that, yes, I know you really don't feel like having your ceilings painted, but when a buyer walks through and they see those cracks, their alarm bells are going to go off, and they're going to horribleize your house, and they won't buy it. So it's, it's being confident and professional and not afraid to, to tell them. And a lot of times, maybe they won't pick me the first time because they didn't like my message, but guess what? They call me back six months or a year later and they say, okay, now I realize I should have listened. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the pricing conversation, right? So you've told them you have your big girl pants on. Yep. Uh, Every day. From there, how do you convey pricing? Like, how do, what do you show? What do you do? What is your process for conveying where they should position the property? Okay. I think it's important. Uh, frankly, I rarely, if ever, unless you're looking in a high rise and you're giving a, uh, a, an analysis of unit 1903, and you see that 2303 so, uh, sold for X within the last six months, 2103 sold for Y, you know, unless it's that particular circumstance, I rarely, rarely come in with a price. It's really important to make sure that they know that you take pricing very, very seriously and that you, you don't want to overprice or underprice them, and that you're, you're, like Jenny said, that you're the professional, and that you will go back and you will review the comps. This is if you have not, I'm assuming you have not seen the property before. So if you haven't seen the property before, you have the opportunity to go back, review the comparables, have a very serious conversation with them. After that, uh, you know, taking it to the next level, once you get the listing, um, I was gonna have this before, but I'll add it now. I think it's really important to market the hell out of it. And that's not, you know, not, not that it will make a huge difference in necessarily selling it, but it will make a huge difference down the road when you have to talk to your seller about dropping the price. If they feel that you have spent time, energy, and money marketing it to the highest level possible using all of your experience and all of your resources, then the only thing left is price. So 
I think it's very, very important to go the extra mile for them and not cut corners. And sometimes we do that and we forget to tell them that we did that. So don't forget when you're putting it on your Instagram page or you're doing all these other fabulous activities to remember to include your seller in that so that you get credit for all your good work. Um, I think the, the thing that I explain to sellers when we're talking about price is that people are going to buy it with their heart, but they're going to justify it with their brain. And so is their appraiser and their lender and anybody else who comes through the door and their broker. So we have to figure out how to make it look beautiful and enticing so they come in and they fall in love. But we also have to make sure that we position it correctly so that after they do all that, they don't, they don't say, oh, but wait a second, compared to every other one, like these people are unrealistic. Um, whether it's true or not, I've heard that like the younger buyers, the millennial buyers, don't like to negotiate. And I tell my sellers that if that's who we think their target audience is. Because I've had a lot of listings where we're getting lots of people through the door and nothing's happening. And then I finally, I bring it down and then we get multiple offers. And so you've got a, a shifting mindset. I do talk a lot about the rules of the game are changing. I've had, I explain um, sort of horror stories in my listing appointment where, you know, we got another client had a listing on the market. It was a little high in the price. We got an offer, we countered, and then they went away and we never heard back from the buyer and the agent didn't call me for two weeks and then said, oh, we bought something else. And I'm like, wait a second, it's like tennis. You serve, we hit the ball, you hit the ball, you hit the ball, game's over, we hug in the middle, right? That's not happening with some of our negotiations. So I have to tell the seller, like, you need to know that the, the rules are different. You know, you might think you start high and then they might, if, if the price is too high, well, buyers will come in low. And I say, no, they're just gonna go buy something else. I, I, I would like to add to that. I mean, there's so many good points Jenny raised. I mean, I've, you know, Jenny and I do a lot of deals together. I think there's a certain understanding between us that if we come in with a price, there's a certain um, negotiation that happens. And uh, just because we've been doing it a long time. But there are a lot of agents who work with these buyers with a new mindset that do that. Um, I also, I forgot what the next one but that's what I was going to say. That happens at our age. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say one other thing about pricing. Uh, I'm, I'm very analytical. So I've had listing appointments where I go in and the um, seller will say, well, wait a second, you're saying you know X, but I've interviewed three other agents and they said Y. And I'm like, well, how did they get that number? And they're like, I don't know. And it so seems like what's happening, and I'm, I'm all about the two-step listing appointment that Brad described, is that people will go in, like if you think you can go into a single family house that you've never seen with a price, like I don't know where you get that because how would you know until you actually understand the condition of it and how it shows? Because that is a, very much a part of it. I mean, you can go in with a range in your mind, but I agree, you, you need to go. But there's a lot of agents that, I, I've been up against enlisting appointments where they go in and they they like have a price and the the classic was one where the seller tore down the house and <laughs> and built a new house and one of the people brought a CMA for the house that got torn down and I can tell you that guy did not get the listing right so he actually gave it to the seller so. I mean, that, that's crazy. You wanna be analytical, and I do a lot with spreadsheets. I download data from the MLS, and I look at lot size, year build, 
taxes, number of garage spaces, price per square foot, you know, all these things. And then I lay it out in front of the seller and I say, like, if you were going to buy your house today, what would you pay based on these? Just to add, uh, you know, I think often a lot of my sellers will say, well, the house two doors down sold three years ago for X and, you know, we have a nicer uh, terrace or we have four bedrooms. And I, I think it's, you know, in the house three doors down sold a year and a half ago for Y. I think it's very important to say, listen, you know, at some point, unless a buyer pays cash, an appraiser is going to walk in here. And it's not going to appraise out for X or yeah. Y. You can always fall back on the appraiser. I And what I say is I try and put myself in the mind of an appraiser. An appraiser is going to look at six months of sales, occasionally a year, but mostly six months. And those are your comparables, not what happened three years ago, not what happened 10 years ago, not what happened a year and a half ago down the block. So I think that's very important. And it's a good fallback is to go to the appraiser position. What is an appraiser going to say? What you know? Because if the, if it doesn't appraise out, you've wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of hassle, and you may even lose this buyer. I'm going to give you like a really great secret tip. This will make it worth coming here for today. Take the word. Go with Brad. Take I'm yeah. Always. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, take the word comp out of your vocabulary. How many times have you sat with a seller and said, well, the comp on this floor, and the seller says, that's not comp, mine is nicer, right? And so they won't listen to comp. Replace the word comp with relevant sale because they have to understand relevant sales. Comps, they will debate you and say, well, my yard is better, my landscape is better, my pear tree is nicer. You know, they're, they're going to make it emotional and personal because you're saying mine is comparable to that, but if you say relevant sale, what do they say? No, it's not relevant. Uh, and I agree with Brad, it's very important when someone says, well, the one across the street or the whatever, you want to know, because there's sometimes I've gotten caught where there's off MLS sales, and they were very recent, and so I don't, I don't actually go in with anything like printed saying, with a number on it saying, here's your price, because that would just get me in trouble. I want a dialogue. Pricing should be a conversation. It should not be an email or a, or a binder report or something like that. Um, but, but the old sales, you have to really be prepared to, to, to educate the seller about the market and about changes in the market and what's happening. When I do look at relevant sales, oftentimes I'll pull the listing history, that's one of the reports in the MLS, and I'll show them that, yes, this sold for this, but I just want you to see it took 587 days and six price reductions. Do you want to go there? You know, because it's a catching a falling knife. Is that, is that the experience you want when you sell their house? And, and that, that's kind of a graphic way to get them on board with pricing. Yeah, I think, I think what we're hearing here is it's much better to show people and tell people a story. And so that's yeah. what I like about what you said. First of all, there are a ton of tidbits, so hopefully you're taking notes or writing it in your phone in terms of the dialogues they're using, uh, because they're really helpful in being able to convey with it and communicate with your sellers. But being able to tell sort of a horror story or a cautionary tale about who they don't want to be with an actual listing is really impactful. Yeah. So let's go to the marketing part. Do you participate or do you use pre-listing tools such as the PLN? So more and more, I am. 
I'm finding that uh, we're using PLN, we're using Compass coming soon. Uh, I'm using my Instagram account to announce uh, listings that are forthcoming. I think it has the advantage uh, from a seller's perspective because th there is a certain segment of buyers who are always looking for something that's not out there. And if they feel like they have it in or they're getting an advantage on something, they're going to jump on it. And maybe you have an opportunity to get your seller uh, something that they would not have gotten if you just put it directly on the MLS. It's also occasionally an opportunity to possibly try something at a little bit higher price and if there's zero response, you'll know right away and you can go back to your seller and say, listen, I tried off market for X amount of time. It didn't sell. We really need to bring it down when we go live on the MLS. So. Uh, a few years ago, Nancy Tassoni had an incredible sale of a house that she put the picture on Facebook and said, wouldn't you want to live here? It was like, it was Jim Lettinger's house over on Hermitage and it was a great photograph. And she sold it because somebody saw it on Facebook and shared it with somebody who shared it with somebody who said, I've always admired that house and came and bought it before it was listed. So I think thinking out of the box about how to do that, like being creative and putting it out there is good. I lost a listing uh, around Christmas time because I put it on the PLN. They said, we don't want to put it in the regular MLS, and I didn't get showings, and they're like, well, you, you obviously you do a terrible job because where's my offers? And so I think pre-marketing is a good concept if you manage their expectations and say we're going to do it for two weeks or we're going to do it for a week or we're going to try the price and see if we can get feedback but i think it's a slippery slope at least i learned with that particular seller where they expected and they came from california where everything's got 20 offers over full price so they figured that even doing it that way they would get a lot of um, activity. This is a co-op, so already I was handicapped. And then to try and you know sell it, not marketing it. I think what I say again, I'm a storyteller. Is I say you can't sell your home in a closet. Like you've got to come out of the closet so everybody can see it and know it's there and get it in as many portals as possible. So yes, I try it, but oftentimes I just go straight to market because I tell them they have the best chance of getting the best price if they expose it to the broadest audience possible. I, I'd like to stress what Jenny said, is that if you do pre-market, you really have to manage their expectations, because there's a good chance you may not get a single showing. So if you feel like you're unable to manage those expectations, I mean, I've done it before, and people are going, where are my showings? Where are my showings? Yeah, don't do it. You know, don't, you have to, unless you can effectively manage their expectations, you, you, you don't do it, or you do it for a day. You know, you just, you just, it's not worth it if they're going to hold you responsible for your inability to sell it off market. Got it. So with each listing, moving forward past the pre-listing marketing, how do you determine what you're going to spend on each listing in terms of marketing it? Brad and I talked about this first. We don't. We, it's, it's case by case basis. Um, there are certain things that we do for every single client. And sometimes people say like, well, my place is only worth this. It's like, no, really important message for me and my business is we put the same amount of energy and love into all of our listings regardless of price point. So we start with that the staging consultation, which we do. Uh, we have resources who can help them if they need to paint or refinish their marble countertops or whatever. So we, we don't just say, here, good luck, call us when you're done. We work with our clients to help them get ready. Um, we 
I think we shoot some of the prettiest pictures. I'm the photographer, so I'm biased. Uh, but I love and care a lot about photos when we're shooting and styling at the same time. If you're hiring somebody to shoot, go to your photo shoot. Don't just send them. Because when you get the photos back and the Kleenex boxes on the nightstand and the toaster oven is in the counter and all this stuff, like I look at pictures online and I'm like, who was, who was in charge of that photo shoot? Respect yourself enough to be there and put the time in to make sure that you've got the best darn photos in the city because that's how you're going to sell your listing. So photos are really important. We always do a floor plan. Um, and then we spend a lot of time thinking about messaging. So who is the target audience and how do we speak to that audience? You can't please all the people all the time. If you have generic copy that's just two bedrooms, two baths, blah, 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 how does the buyer know it's the right fit for them? So you really want to talk about the tone and the style in a way where it's going to appeal to your target audience. I can give a good example without getting into any kind of trouble. You know, if it's a one-bedroom uh, loft in a neighborhood with a lot of fun restaurants, obviously you're not going to talk about the closest parks and playgrounds. You're going to talk about the great nightlife because you're probably going to be marketing that toward a first-time home buyer you know, one person or maybe a couple. Whereas if it's a house with eight bedrooms, your marketing probably is gonna talk more about proximity to schools and parks and playgrounds. So think about the, the way that you position it and don't just do like a laundry list of stuff. Tell a story. And, and so we try to do that visually. We try to do that in our remarks and our marketing. We try and do that more and more on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and hopefully people connect with it. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, um, that there's really no set uh, dollar amount, whether it's a $10 million house <clears throat> or a $100,000 studio, on what you spend. But obviously, what it is, who you're appealing to, and who your sellers are, and what their expectations are, will have a bearing on how much you spend and where you direct your energy. Obviously, right now, there's a lot of free marketing out there. And you should take advantage of that. And especially if either your seller or your target buyer are, you know, in tune with that. If you have, you know, um, a seller who's selling an East Lake, uh, East Lakeshore Drive co-op, you know, putting something on Instagram may not be what they, what the seller wants to see. They may want to see something in Cranes or in Chicago Social or something like that. So you have to really make sure that you're appealing to your seller, to the price point, and to your target buyer. I would also try and access PR, which is also free, to the extent possible. And I know Jenny does a lot of this as well. We have contacts with a lot of the major uh, writers, both in Chicago and nationally, who cover residential real estate. And especially if the house is unique or offers something special, whether it's price point or design or function, then they're ready to pounce on it. And that's free publicity. So um, you also have to be careful of that. I'll give you a, a short story. I had a, one of these huge mansions in Buena Park. Uh, you know, George Mayer, 12,000 square foot, $5 million mansion. Do you have one listed there now? I don't know. What did you do? But whatever. Um, which is not the easiest market to reach right now. And I had a local writer in Chicago cover it, and they called it Uptown. In their, it, and 
And the problem is when you yeah, do Charlie. when you go PR, you have no opportunity to um, to cultivate and to smooth out the image and what's conveyed. It it they can write whatever they want, and they don't come back to you and say, "How does this look?" So that was a risk, and my seller was livid. Um, even though technically it's part of Uptown. They said, this is historic Buena Park. Why did he call it Uptown? So that was a lesson for me too. You don't necessarily want to jump into PR, but you, it, is an, it is an option out there and it's free if you have the relationships and if you feel that'll be covered accurately and will boost your property rather than diminish it. The only other thing I'd say about a marketing budget is you can get a lot of leverage out of just being smart. Like, when agents throw a whole bunch of money out, it doesn't mean you're gonna help sell your home. So one of the things we're doing with our team, and you guys are probably way ahead of me on this, is that when we do an open house, we're going out now at like seven in the morning, and we're putting our tent signs around, and we're, we're printing these things that are like a color poster that's got the pictures and a little description and the price, and we're putting that up on the fence next to it. One of my team members is like going to Starbucks and putting it around the neighborhood just the day of. But instead of you know showing up at 1:59 for your two o'clock, you know open house and taking the stuff out of the car, putting it there, and then waiting, you know we're really getting up early. And last weekend I did two open houses and I had like 12 groups at both, and I was you know the early bird, getting my ten signs out and putting those posters up and. Now, I know like it's sleeting or it's snowing or whatever, it's pretty tough to do that, but I have to say, especially as it's getting warmer, that people came. And make sure you're putting it way enough in, you know, in the MLS, check your Zillow, make sure it's around, do an e-blast to, to the target audience of agents, you think, but, but don't just do activities. Like if you're gonna do an open house, work it. Put the time in. Just one thing. You have to be careful about the 10 signs around the neighborhood, though. Why I, put them in the corners? But I think the city has an ordinance. Again. I've been fined twice. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. Oh, so okay. you can where put them. Where do you, you put them? Like at the corner. You yeah, just have to be. I'm just. I'm not saying don't do it, but just be prepared. They could fine you for that. Yeah. Put Brad's name on them. Why did they close the Because you, I think the I think the ordinance is you can only put one sign in front of the house. I didn't uh, hear that. Yeah, there's a, don't, I mean. <laughs> if you don't mind us asking, what did you pay for a fine? I think it was like 250 bucks. Yeah. Wow. And there's certain aldermen that'll I mean, drive around and pick them up and throw them in their trunk uh, and take your signs. But it's not, It's it, there's only a few. They're getting souvenirs when they're Jennies, so. Right. So, but I totally agree. You know, the, we're talking about selling a property, right? But I think the benefit in having those signs out early, too, is your exposure to the neighborhood. So when people do walk to Starbucks, yeah. or they do walk their dog, or they drive somewhere on the way in and out, they see your open house signs with your name on it, right? So it's branding in the community you want to work in as well as driving traffic to the open house. Um, with the, uh, let's go back. So whether it's marketing or pricing, we talked a little bit about unrealistic expectations with sellers. Have you, well, we talked about it. You said you have cut sellers loose, that you have turned down or walked away from a listing. Tell me about that and how'd you do it? Why would you do it and how? Please. Uh, okay, so uh, I asked if I could go first because I, this was one of the few things I wanted to make sure to say today. Um, if you get a crazy seller, it ruins your, your like your season. It. I had a client once who was like 
I think he, he had serious issues, and I never knew if I was going to get the nice one or the screaming at me one on the phone when I answered the phone. So I'd see him on caller ID, and it was like, oh, do I want to answer this now? Can I handle it? Don't take those listings. Like, use your radar when you're in the listing appointment, because if you've got nine nice clients and one toxic client, it just kills you. And you lay awake at night, and you feel awful, and you worry, and... You know, if you know that you're working hard, you don't deserve to put that stress in your life. So so use your antenna. And when you have the ones that are overpriced, like, say, don't say, you know, you're wrong or whatever. Like, just wish them well and say, you know, I just, I'm very concerned. My job is not to show your home, it's to sell it. And I don't believe that at this point in time I can, but keep the door open. I've had a lot where I didn't get the listing the first time and they called later again and said you know you were right um oh and i've also just this is a total tangent but i've had somewhere they it didn't sell they thought the grass was greener they hired another agent i said i completely understand i'm always gracious about it i wish you well i'm always here if you need me and i've had several that came back and said okay we made a mistake you know, we got the new photos, we realized we shouldn't have left, and then it was really a price problem, and, and I've gotten the listing back. So always, like, when you, if you lose a listing, or you lose a listing appointment, send them flowers, say thank you. Be like that high road person, because it will always come back. They might even start referring you business because you were that gracious, gracious person. What was the first part of the question? <laughs> you got it. You covered it. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to add? No, I think Jenny said yeah. it beautifully. I think um, I think it's tempting when you're starting out, or maybe you haven't sold that much. You have an opportunity. You don't want to lose it. It's very tough. I mean, because I have a lot of nutty clients, <laughs> uh, you know. And I think the, it's very tempting, and it's alluring if it's a sexy listing, to take it. You know, assuming they're good on price and everything else, even if the seller, there's some disconnect. So I appreciate that. But you have to resist because it will weigh on you and it will cause you unlimited, you know, stress in your life. And it's not worth it. You'd rather put your energy going for the good stuff and the good people who trust you, who value your judgment, who will look to you to guide them through this process. And that you don't have to fight with and that you don't have to lose sleep over. So it is worth the cost. Um, there, there are times where I know that people will take a listing and say, well, I know the price is high and I know they're unrealistic, but after I get the listing, I'll work with them. That is a terrible thing because they resent you. Why did you take it at that price and not like tell them, you know, not put your big girl pants on in the morning and tell them up front? And so, but I have had some where it's like, boy, I really would like this. I really believe I can sell it. And when we're having this dance about price, here's what I say. I know that you want to try this price. I think it's speculative. I don't believe the market will support it based on recent sales. But if, if you feel strongly, let's try it for a couple weeks. But by three, four weeks at the longest, if we haven't gotten an offer, we need to reduce it by at least 5%. And if we haven't gotten showings, it's more like 10%. And I established that up front. I'm really careful about not owning the price. In the old days, 
before the recession. I used to send them an email, I'd give them a price, and then because the market was going up, if I was a little off, the market would get there eventually. But like last year, I had a lot of clients where we were chasing the market down. Better to be really, really clear with that disclaimer up front. I don't determine the price. We're gonna make an educated guess between you and me. I've done this a lot, I'm pretty good at it, but we're in a volatile market, and if your neighbor puts their house on the market for $200,000 less than our price and it's a similar house, guess what? Your value just went down. So I'm really upfront about, I don't own it, but I'm really good at helping you get the best price the market will bear, and it's a constant conversation. It's not something we figure out the first day and then we just wait. I will say that the marketplace that we find ourselves now in, this is kind of going on what Jenny said, is volatile. It's not what it used to be, the marketplace that we kind of grew up in, where you could push and everything was going up. You know, we are in this, Chicago is not an easy market right now, and there are probably like a thousand different sub-markets. So to the extent that people are asking what the market is like, you can't, you just can't give a straight answer. We have to understand that there are about a thousand different sub-markets. But it's also a really volatile market where other major cities are going up and you know a lot of people are moving say, are saying they're bidding wars in San Francisco and New York or wherever they're in Denver. Chicago is very, very difficult in a in a in most of the markets. And it's it really is the wild, wild west. And trying to navigate that and manage expectations and manage your sellers and trying to market the best you can is, is, is not an easy feat. And it, it's important to stress that we do not create this marketplace. We're dealing with the marketplace and we're the best stewards of that marketplace. And we'll help you, we'll help you through it, but it's not easy and we have to manage their expectations and we have to get them the most we can in a marketplace that we don't create. Cool, I wanna make sure we can get to questions from the audience, um, but I do have one more 60 second question because both of you are heavily involved in luxury sellers, luxury listings. If someone in the audience wants to increase their average list price or meet high net worth individuals, how do they do that other than just waiting for their database to grow? First of all, I have to say something about luxury. I think luxury is a frame of mind. Luxury is a quality of service. Luxury is not a price point. In fact, in our company, they just did a study about what the consumer thinks is luxury, and, and price was like number fourth on the list after amenities and experience and a number of other things. So, so the world is changing, and it's getting away from price point. And I try really hard when I brand myself to have people understand that what they're buying is a first-class experience, not necessarily a broker who only wants to do listings over a million dollars. Having said that, when I first got in the business, I, I made a decision to try and sell at a higher price point because I felt like it was probably the same amount of work or even a little less than a lower price point, better commission, higher profit. So the way that I did that is I decided that I was gonna master the market. If you wanna sell in, at a higher price point than where you are now, then on Tuesday, go to 10 or 15 broker open houses. People 
gotten lazy because the pictures are on the internet. There is no substitute for getting into these homes and actually seeing them up close and personal, understanding the buildings, understanding the amenities. And I tell the, the newer brokers in our company, like I expect them to go out on Tuesdays and see them, or Saturdays or Sundays, if what you want to see isn't out there. But you need to do that because when you get that seller, you need to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. Well, I saw this and this building and that. And you can't fake it. I agree with that. It, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, it amazes me that we can have brokers open houses and I have to beg people to come. I mean, when I was starting out and they, they had brokers luncheons, I never stayed for lunch. I was, in those two or three or four hours, I was racing around the city, racing. And admittedly, it was before everything was so beautiful online, but still, I was in the buildings, I was in the houses. And I think Jenny's right. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Luxury is a state of mind, and it's important just to get out there, know the market, speak with authority, and you know what, it sounds ridiculous, but you also have to look like what you're selling, too. Uh, Jim and my office have a, uh, this is another, <laughs> we have costume changes. So if we're selling an East Lakeshore Drive co-op for $7 million, and then I've got a showing at a cool hip-hop loft in the West Loop, you know, I'll run home and change. So, I mean, I think it's really important to uh, understand what you're selling and look like it and be able to meet your, I mean, there's only so, I, I can't look that hip hop. But <laughs> do the best I can. And, you know, I think it's important to like, look like what you're selling to make sure that when buyers come in, they're like, oh man, I trust this guy. He understands what he, he's selling here. And that's, again, that's luxury. So whether it's a hip hop loft on the west side, Ukrainian village, or an East Shore Drive co-op, it's all luxury in how you present yourself and how you present the product. Cool. Yeah, Brad's new uh, rap single drops tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so, any questions that you might have? Yeah. So, first, thanks. You guys are awesome. You really a lot of good news. Um, I want to get back to your the listing appointment a little bit. So, you both two step people. Were you ever one step people first? And then, how much time elapses between your appointment and when you're getting back to them? How are you getting back? With a phone call, with another meeting, with an email? Are you mailing them or FedExing them something? How do you handle that? I teach seminars on that question. So I'll try and do a really short answer. Um, he, the question, I'll repeat the question. It was, he wanted to go back to the listing appointment. Um, you get your first appointment, how much time elapses till you do the second step, and what at that point do you do, how do you do it? So um, I'm gonna tell you my perfect scenario first, and then we can talk about life. Um, the perfect scenario is I go through, in that initial appointment, which I, for me, it's like an hour, hour and a half. Like, I once got a listing where the seller said that the other broker, that, who was also a top broker, didn't take her coat off. She came, she ran through, she said, I'll get back to you, and she didn't take her coat off. And they literally said, the reason I hired you is you took your coat off and you sat in the living room and we got to know each other. So right there is a really interesting data point. But um, in that first appointment, I'm collecting information. Who are they? Do I, can, they're interviewing me, I'm interviewing them. Are they good people? Are they toxic people? Are they realistic? Why are they selling? What do I need to know to write all my marketing? I'm doing all of that. I take it back, I do my analysis, and then 
uh, the best advice, the ideal scenario is that you book that second appointment the same time you book the first one. And in fact, I heard in my mastermind group this great strategy. When the person calls and says, I wanna, I wanna like list my house, so you say, okay, you know, how about Saturday at noon, are, you know, are you and your spouse available at that time? Would that be a good time? And they say yes. And then you say, great, so I'd like to stop by before that. How about Wednesday? So you're actually booking the pricing appointment first, and then you're backing into the, and then the pricing appointment in an ideal world, you really want to have in your office because that's where you're in control. You're in the house, the kids are crying, the dog's barking, UPS is at the door, the TV's going, and it's really hard to go and say, do you mind turning off your TV and sending your kids downstairs? Like now they think you're kind of a jerk, but, but you need their attention. So in a perfect world, it's a two-stepper, book the pricing appointment first, then book the fill-in appointment to go to their house. And for the pricing appointment in a perfect world, you would have your relevant sales, not your comps, your relevant sales with the photos on a TV monitor or in paper. You'd lay them out, you'd look at the pictures, and, and you'd bookend it. You'd say, well, look at this one. Oh my God, that's really nice. Their kitchen's a little newer than yours. What, that's how far? Uh, mm, okay. And then you go through, and then they're going to be the one that's going to say, well, obviously we can't get what that guy got. Maybe we, maybe we should be in here. So they, you basically want to engage it and have them help you price it. That's the perfect scenario. I would just like to add that I'm asked to give seminars all over the world. Awesome. All right. One thing I want to add really quickly. We talked about I love the relevant sales and changing that dialogue. And the one that I use and teach for for active properties that are out there are buyer options. Because I once, I once had an agent tell me, or not an agent, a seller tell me that because they had a, a medicine cabinet that opened, and because they had uh, you know, a jetted tub that they felt like the other property wasn't a comp. Uh, yeah. But a buyer, you know, they're not going to make their decision on the medicine cabinet, I'm pretty sure. Um, in any case, what, what was the brand, though? What was the brand? That's, Rover. You know what? I didn't do my research. Uh, what other, other questions? There's one over there. There we go. How, yes, how can you upgrade your listing presentation? I'm going to be honest. I think a, a listing and presentation should look nice. But the main focus of the listing presentation is you. It's really about you. It's connecting with the seller, making sure you come in with authority, with graciousness, and with an attitude which they can connect with. I think a listing presentation should be, should show you know should be a book that shows what your you and your company and your group can offer um you could bring sample brochures you could show things online that you've done i often bring like different um uh print advertising that i do whether it's chicago social or chicago tribune or ultimate address whatever it is to show them examples of how we do things but honestly, I would say 95% of the listing appointment, you're, you're what you're selling, and you should have confidence in that, and you should be able to connect and uh, groove with your seller in that way. And the word that came to my mind in the answer to your question is to be authentic. So if you go in and you're a robot, 
and your presentation feels like everybody else, then why would they ever hire you? Uh, I do believe if you've done your homework, and that's where I was saying earlier, you go in and you're like, so you bought this and blah, and it looked like the people before you, they just put in a new kitchen before you bought it, right? Have you done anything to it? Like, if you're able to go in and have that higher knowledge, and where the other brokers might not be as well prepared, you're not, you will, you, they will have more confidence in you. And I do the same thing. I do the show and tell, and you just have to make sure that the show and tell is relevant to them. I'm not gonna show them, you know, an ad in a magazine for a $3 million place if they're a half a million dollar place. I'll bring a brochure for a half a million dollar townhouse to my half a million dollar townhouse person. So I'm showing them relevant experience. I'm not just showing them all my experience because again, I want them to connect with what I've done that's like them. Yeah, and I think it's, that language can be changed too from listing presentation to consultation or interview because I think that a lot of times we go in and we do a dog and pony show. You know, we throw all of our stuff on the table, but then what I equate that to is we're trying to solve a problem when we don't know the problem. We don't know, you know, both, both of our uh, panelists talked about asking questions and getting to their motivation. So two books, you're going to see the covers and you're going to be like, ah, no thank you because they're from like 1975. But question-based selling, and Socratic selling. And what it is, is if you know Socratic selling, it's all about, or Socratic teaching, it's all about getting people to the answers by asking them questions. And people feel great when you ask them questions. So if you can tell them how to position their property and how you're gonna help them by asking them questions and them answering it, uh, it's a win. Because they feel great about it and you've engaged them in a conversation instead of the dog and pony show. If you've ever been on a date where the person on the date spends the whole night talking about themselves and never asks you about you, like that, you're probably not going on a second date. Think about that in your listing appointment because that's how the seller feels when the person comes and says, I'm great, let me show you how great I am. Here's all my greatness. Any questions? Like that's, that's not a good listing appointment. I completely agree. You want engagement back, ask questions, and then, then be a good listener. Um, I want to say what the one thing that Jenny said which what, took me a long time to learn uh, through this whole conversation was to really be gracious when you don't get the listing I think I, early on I wasn't I was upset like why wouldn't they hire me like I'm totally perfect and I'd be I know and actually when people ask me if if you don't get it, who would you hire? I always say, yeah. so, uh, so it really is funny. But I, I have to say, like early on for many years, I'd be bitter, and I, I wouldn't. Res I, I'm being completely honest, um, uh, and I took it personally, and I wouldn't respond. Over the years, I've I've learned that that really isn't the right course. That it's better to be gracious. That they may remember that and come back to you, or even if they sell. If they have some friends that, who say, give me the names of a couple agents, there'll be an opportunity. I learned the hard way. And Jenny, you know, is exactly right. Always be gracious. And be gracious with anybody. You know, I've had buyers who I lost for some reason, and I was bitter. Don't be bitter. Always be gracious. Say, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I'm here for you. Let's, you know, your reputation is what you have to go on, and it will serve you well in the future if you if you always hold your head up high and act with dignity and graciousness. So I think that's honestly, Jenny learned it from day one. It took me a while, but I think that's that's a big takeaway. 
Great, and that's a great note to end on. I'm getting the red flag, so I know we could be up here for another hour or two, and I know some of you have questions. So if you, everybody wants to call Brad today at 2 p.m. <laughs> and ask any questions you have, that would be great. Um, but join me in giving a hand to our panelists, Jenny and Brad. <laughs>